0: Hi everybody, this is Bronwyn Randall and we are on episode 9 of the Forsaken Gospel and I'm going to be touching on several concepts today, but uh, most importantly, it's about uh, understanding the parables of Jesus Um, from the beginning. I have been um, telling you all that the Bible can be absolutely trusted it is the Word of God Um, if you do not believe that uh, let me just ask you to to do some things okay and you can do this you've got an internet you could do it sitting right there I uh, challenge you to have an open mind and go in and read the first chapter of Genesis. Then read the creation stories of every other culture you can find. Um, it's easy Googling stuff on the internet. Also, um, read the chapter about Noah, or actually, as many chapters about Noah. Read it with an open mind, just finding out what it says. We're not thinking about whether, oh, this is, you know, um, mystical in some way. But just read it to find out what it says. What is the story? Uh, So you can read um, the account of Noah in the book of Genesis. And then you can go through and read all of the different flood stories that you can find from different cultures. Anybody who wants to um, become familiar with the Bible or um, who is having, uh, you know, questions about whether it's really real or um, is it actually true, keep an open mind. That's the first thing I tell people. Keep an open mind. Read the Bible just to find out what it says. I think um, that that really clarifies for many people um, how the Bible compares to other, um, what they might call faith um, literature from other cultures. There is... um, just speaking about the Bible itself, just standing on its own, there is no other uh, text in human literature that even comes close to uh, comparing, um, you know, its, its validity with the Bible. The Bible includes um, narratives of every genre, except that it's all true, And it has within it answers to every question that you might ever have. But in order to find those answers, you're gonna have to start reading it just to find out what it says. If you're going through trying to cherry pick verses to bolster what you already believe or to um, help you attack someone else, uh, then you just need to put it down, okay? You need to uh, read it for what it says, and ask the Holy Spirit to open your spirit, open your mind, so that you can understand it. Um, as you know, we humans, are we are very adept at filling up our spirit and our soul with rationalizations, um, you know, excuses. Uh, ways that we justify what we do. And you really can't even see what those things are unless the Holy Spirit shows you. You know, it's like David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. And and we all need to do that. Okay, so... um, The the subtitle of my podcast is um, Discovering the Supernatural Reality of the Bible, and I'm going to tell you uh, one of the things that has been very, excuse me a moment, oh, here we go. Uh, one of the the as a literature person myself, that is my area of expertise. Um, as a literature person, this might be something that's far more meaningful to me than it might be to someone else. but um, several decades ago, well, a few decades ago, I began to see the patterns. In the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that there were um, trends, there were concepts, uh, there were truths that were interwoven through every part of the Bible and that they all match, not matched, but they all were unified. It was a union of Philosophical concepts, you might say. Okay, but what I figured out was that the Bible really is one word. Genesis to Revelation. It is one word. And that word is love. If you don't understand that, then you really do need to go back. People say, oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Well, he is the same God today as he was then. And that Old Testament is there for you to read and take warning. He doesn't slip up on anybody unawares. Okay? So it's true. You need to read it. And you need to be familiar with the Old Testament. If you do not understand what's in the Old Testament, then you have no idea who Jesus is. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophecies of the Old Testament to the minute in, intricate detail. I will say there are some paradoxes, but there are no contradictions and the thing that's um, meaningful to me as a literature person is the use of metaphor. I call it uh, metaphorical consistency, straight through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and the metaphors are always clearly defined somewhere, might not be at the beginning, but it will be in there somewhere. It will be written down what a particular me- metaphor means. For example, in Revelation, it's, it's, there's a couple of things in Revelation. It says, um, Linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Okay, that's what linen means. So when you go back and read Earlier chapters, whenever you see linen as it has a part in the narrative, you will learn something about the righteous deeds of the saints uh, in revelation also it says that incense is the prayer of the saints, okay, uh go back and look at uh stories, passages that relate to Incense. Now, some pre- you might think that's simple, but people who don't use incense correctly are struck dead in the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, I've been reading the parables of Jesus, and uh, one of the problems that I had as far as the metaphors go, is there were a few things that I, I didn't understand how it could be. For example, if the metaphors are consistent, there's something wrong when um, Moses in the wilderness has a bronze snake cast and put on top of a pole and held up so that the the Hebrews who are dying of, of Poisonous snake bites can look at it and be healed. Well, obviously that's referring to Jesus on the cross, but it's not a cross, it's a pole. And if the metaphors are consistent, that cannot be right. I worried about that for several years until um, a dear friend gave me uh, an Aramaic English New Testament, where I learned that in the New Testament, uh, the Greek word stauros does not mean a cross. It means a pole. It's an execution stake that Jesus was nailed to, not a cross. Now, how that got mixed up, uh, you know, there are people who weigh in on this uh, debate Uh, But a lot of it has to do with the fact that when Jerome did his translation um, in Latin and also uh, earlier translators were strongly influenced by the Catholic Church, which in the second and third centuries, Um, got themselves organized and decided that the first thing they had to do was sever the Christian church from uh, the Jewish beliefs, the Jewish foundation, from Jews altogether, which was, to me, that was a huge victory for Satan. Um, One of the ways it is is that the... uh, the feasts that are dictated by God in the Old Testament are absolute pictures of who Jesus is and what he's going to do down to the just the most minute detail and if you're not celebrating passover or the feast of tabernacles you never learn that stuff you never know uh that Jesus absolutely confirmed, um, satisfied. Every uh, every thought, every problem in the Old Testament. So that was that was something very uh, unhealthy that happened in the second and third centuries, and uh, death on a stake was one of those things that that got reinterpreted as to, as to be death on a cross, but actually in the New Testament, in the Greek or the Aramaic, a cross is never mentioned, it's a stake. Um, Okay, another thing that um, I just realized, this is, I just learned this like three days ago. Um, I read across uh, the, as I was saying, I was reading the parables of Jesus, And I ran across a couple of parables about leaven, which, as you know, is yeast. And um, there's one verse where Jesus tells the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. Okay. Pharisee leaven is bad, okay? Then, uh, in in a different place, he says that uh, the gospel is like a woman who mixed leaven in with about 60 pounds of flour until it filled the whole dough. Well, that's not bad. What is the difference there about leaven? I mean, if it's going to be consistent, it has to be consistent. So I looked back over it and I was reading, and, um, and there's a verse there that right after Jesus told the disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, it says they, they thought about it and they, they knew that he was telling them about the teaching of the Pharisees. Leaven means teaching. Religious, hypocritical teaching is to be avoided. But think about the mother educating her children. With every word she says, with everything she does, she's educating her children, teaching her children and it increases so that it fills the whole loaf isn't that amazing so i this metaphorical consistency to me is irrefutable it is absolutely if if this had been done in any other text you know, uh, academic scholars would be exclaiming about how, uh, how consistent it was and that it, it, it would just be absolutely true. But uh, because it's in a religious work um, that people don't really want to believe, uh, it's easy to find a way out. That's why I say keep your open mind. Okay. Now I'm coming up on the um, important part of this particular uh, episode. There are some parables, Matthew 24 and 25, basically, these are familiar parables. Um, We have the parable of the ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive at the... reception, Uh, and uh, they will go in to celebrate the wedding um, when the bridegroom gets there. They're like the, you know, the um, maids of honor or whatever. Ten of them were wise, ten of them were foolish. The wise ones had brought extra oil because they didn't know how long they were going to be waiting, so they had brought extra oil. And so when the bridegroom showed up, they were ready. They got their lamps ready, and they were ready to go. Five of the virgins uh, had not taken thought for, um, you know, uh, planning for an emergency or having a little leftover, just being, you know, cautious, and they had run out of oil. They asked the... um, the, the virgins who had brought some, they said, let us have some of yours. And, uh, and the wise virgins said, no, said, you need to go buy your own like we did. Okay? So I'm going to leave that right there and go to another parable. We have uh, the parable of the talents where the master uh, is going on a journey he has three servants. The first servant he entrusts with seven talents. The second one he entrusts with three talents. I might be saying this wrong. This is given in a. There you are know, two different versions of this. I, there are actually two parables about this. So I might be not numbering the talents exactly right. But. Um, the number one servant got seven. The number two servant got five. Uh, but the number one, uh, the last servant only got one. And the, the master told them to use them, uh, use the talents that he had given them. And, uh, and they would settle accounts when he got back. Okay, so when he got back, the first servant had earned, had doubled the amount that he had made. Um, the second one had doubled the amount that he made. The last servant said, I knew you were a hard master. And, uh, and he says, uh, uh, makes a few statements there. And he says, so I took your talent and I buried it to make sure that nothing bad would happen. And so here I am returning your, your talent to you. You know what happened to the unprepared virgins? They were locked out, locked out of the wedding supper. Do you know what happened to the lazy servant called wicked lazy servant? He was thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is important. This is important, all of you children of God out there. Every single human being conceived is conceived in the image of God. Every human being is endowed with a gift that God has placed in that person. It has nothing to do with intellect, health, um, finances, or whatever. Nothing to do with that. But each one of us is meant To be God's gift to the others. If we are afraid. And we do not use the gifts that God has given us. We will be locked out. Thrown into outer darkness. That's what those parables say. If you are sitting on your anointing. Holding back. Because you're afraid of doing it wrong. Or you're afraid of making enemies. Or um, whatever rationalization you have in your mind. You need to get over that. You need to seek God. Ask him to help you. You know, it's like the man who brought his son who had epilepsy and, and Jesus said, do you, do you believe I can do this? And, and the man said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Believing in, a, in yourself that you carry an anointing That takes faith. That is faith. That's belief where it counts. Jesus did not send us into the world to correct social ills. The Sermon on the Mount was not preached uh, so as to be um, implemented by government. It's human individuals that Jesus calls and that he anoints to be helpers to every person that comes across their path. You know, uh, participating in political uh, action groups and uh, taking part in, um, you know, community events and stuff like that, Uh, is all well and good, but that is not what shows that you are a Christian. What shows that you're a Christian is that when you're home with your family, that you bear fruit, and you know what that fruit is? It's defined in the book of Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And self control. That is the fruit that God is looking for in you. That is the fruit that we bear when we are abiding in the vine. That is the fruit that sets us apart, that makes us odd, weird. Peculiar. Sitting on your gift. Oh, let me just let me just encourage you as best I can. Um, believe me, I've been through, I have been through it. I have been through it where I knew God wanted me to do something, and my heart would just be hammering hard, and I would, and sometimes I chickened out. Um, He didn't give up on me, though, because I wanted to learn. I wanted to have that kind of faith in him, that he could use even me. You know what? He is that powerful and that good and that compassionate and merciful that he can use even you. In fact, the gospel depends on his children, his family, the members of his body to be exhibiting his character in the world. The Bible says that it is through, through the church that he will manifest the mystery of the ages in the heavenlies. Um, Now, uh, the last thing I want to do is I want to tell you about a vision I had some weeks ago during my, my husband calls it my solitary time in the morning. Um, The vision I saw was the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord, seated on a white horse, coming straight toward me. And behind him were the hosts of heaven coming behind him. He was on the attack. He was going in against the hosts of the enemy, which you know we do have an enemy. We do. You need to accept that. It's like they say, his greatest triumph is to make people think he doesn't exist. But he does. In the vision, I saw him straight on, but he wasn't looking at me. He was looking to the si- to his left side over his shoulder. And he had his left arm extended and he was pointing. So I could tell that he was giving some kind of direction to the hosts that were coming behind him. Facing me on the white horse with his left arm outstretched, looking over his shoulder with his finger pointed, his right arm reaching over to draw out of his side, his bride, just as Eve was brought out of the side of Adam. He is drawing his bride out of his side who when he puts the bride, I can, I can hardly find words to express this, but the bride is his secret weapon to bring utter defeat and humiliation to Satan, the devil, the old serpent, the dragon. He is going to defeat that monster through the church, his bride. Do not sit on your gift. Amen. That is it for today. Thanks, y'all. Okay, dear, dear family out there, dear believers, I um, wanted to add this um, note of a warning. Look at Revelation 21 8, chapter 21, verse 8. Look at that and see who goes into the lake of fire first. That's all I want you to do. Thanks.